Welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast with your host, LaToya. This podcast was created as a platform for spreading love. They say love is the strongest magnetic force on the planet Earth. But if this is really true, why is love such a complicated subject matter? Welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast, and I am your host, LaToya. I created this podcast in honor of my dad, who was an acclaimed television broadcast engineer for nearly four decades. He also hosted an award-winning radio show called Speaking of Sports, which is the inspiration behind the name of this podcast, Speaking of Love. My dad was an amazing guy who achieved levels of success that most people only dream of. He was held in the highest esteem, and yes, he was a star in the public eye. But on March 2nd of 2020, his private struggles became public when he murdered his wife, moments before taking his own life. So I created this podcast as a platform for spreading love around the globe while raising awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. My name is LaToya Bond, and I have a podcast called Speaking of Love. My podcast is dedicated to the memory of my dad who took his own life in a murder-suicide. Aside from that, I am a business owner. I have a home-based business. I am also a legal professional during my nine-to-five day, and I am a person who operates her entire life on the premise of spreading love. It's the secret to my success. It's the secret to my longevity on this earth. And it's what keeps us going because love is the thing that makes all things beautiful. So that's why I'm here today to talk about my favorite subject in the whole wide world, and that's love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of Love, the podcast. I am your host, LaToya, and I am so happy to be here today. I have Dave here, Dave Ebert. He's all the way in joliet chicago is that correct dave yeah right here in the chicago suburbs in the chicago suburbs well welcome to speaking of love dave dave let me tell you guys this individual here before me is a man of many gifts and talents he sits before me today he is an improviser an improv coach a podcaster and a children's pastor Dave uses comedy and improv to bring people together and ultimately bring people closer to God. So thank you for being here today, Dave. It's an honor to be here. It's uh, great to uh, wake up this morning on a Saturday and and talk about about one of the coolest things in the world, and that's love. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Dave. How did this all get started for you? Uh, so a little bit about myself is, uh, for many years I battled with, uh, depression. Um, and, uh, I used comedy as a way to mask it and also as a, 
as a, a validation to kind of uh, justify my own existence instead of, um, you know, taking my own life. If I knew I could add value to the world, that would justify me not taking that step. And so I use comedy as a way to mask it, mask my depression, but also as a way to try to improve other people's lives so they didn't feel the, the pain that I was going through. And then it, finally in 2013, I finally uh, kind of uh, allowed God to get a hold of me. And I realized that he wanted me to do what I was doing, you know, making people laugh, entertaining them, uh, giving them hope through laughter. But not because uh, of hiding myself, but of revealing his love for them and bringing people together and bringing them closer to him. So I finally surrendered and followed his lead. I left West Virginia to come to Chicago and I've been doing uh, uh, improv and comedy ministry ever since uh, 2013. Wow, that is tremendous. So when did you first discover that you had the ability to make people laugh? I was about two years old. Um, one of the, <laughs> there's a picture of me uh, as an old Polaroid picture uh, of me flexing at this uh, city park that we were at. And apparently at that city uh, pool, there was a, a bodybuilding contest or something like that or whatever. And, you know, I was there with my parents and their friends and I wasn't about to be shown up by these other people across the pool. So in front of my mom and dad, I'm I'm flexing my little chubby arms, my little pot belly, uh, which I still have to this day. <laughs> uh, and, and it was just I loved hearing people laugh. I loved feeling like there was joy in the room mm -hmm. and you know it, it was natural and it was always is always there uh just entertaining people making people laugh to uh coming up with a, a witty joke or comment um sometimes it got me in trouble and like in high school it'd get me in trouble but uh most of the times my timing was so good that people just had to laugh you know what's so interesting about what you're saying dave is my dad used a lot of humor to mask his pain. And you mentioned that earlier, that you use your humor as a way to cover up your pain. Can you mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I entered into uh, my depression in high school, uh, it was this constant battle because I knew that I shouldn't feel this way. I knew that something was wrong. And on top of... of the depression itself there's the shame of like i'm smart enough to i should figure this out i should be able to overcome this but i i didn't feel comfortable and confident enough to share what i was going through so instead of allowing the additional shame to just keep piling up i just buried it and i hid it deep down meanwhile uh the comedy and the carrying on and the joking that was always there it, it went from the pure motive of just spreading joy and being around people and enjoying it, it became this defense mechanism where I couldn't let anybody be beyond that wall, beyond that mask. And uh, like I said, it, it was kind of a, a twofold thing where number one, I, I didn't want people to see what I was going through. Number two, I didn't want other people to go through what I was going through. And I kind of instinctively knew that if, if I can make you laugh, even if it's at my own expense, that you weren't, where I was, that you weren't feeling the hopelessness and the pain that I was feeling. And so it was, there was a heart behind it, but it wasn't a pure heart because I wasn't being transparent. I wasn't being honest. I wasn't really building relationships. I was in the, you know, I was always entertaining and nobody could get past 
that facade because I didn't want that. I didn't want anybody to see what was going on inside. I didn't want people to see my in my garbage here. So I just kept them at an arm's length, uh, kind of doing the you know uh, an emotional Heisman, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, people just never could get close enough to find out what was going on. Uh, and had had I had somebody that was willing to get past that facade. You know, maybe that depression doesn't last for 16, 17 years, but I was, I was very good at masking it. Wow. So were you ever able to reveal what was happening with you? Were you open about it or did you just always keep it inside? I kept it uh, until I found that relationship with the Lord in 2013. It stayed inside. Uh, mm. One time I, it was, and it was not the right time or place. In the middle of a, 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 par- a drinking party in college, uh, I tried to open up to one of my buddies. But when you're both inebriated, that's not the time to have a heart to heart. No, and, it's not. <laughs> uh, and then the one time um, that I did seek like professional help, uh, this uh, therapist spent 45 minutes telling me the reasons why I shouldn't be depressed, and I left the feeling like. Yeah, I know. That's why I came. I know I shouldn't be. Mm. Um, so, and I've talked to other people, and I know that that was just, you know, that was the uh, exception. That you know, the the rule is that therapists are genuine, genuinely good and generally good, and they're not going to sit there and remind you that you're you're wrong. Wow. So my my case was you know one of the oddities, and it was just. It was painful to realize that I actually took that bold step of, of asking for help, and it was kind of uh, a bad experience. But for anybody that that is currently struggling, I would say that you can't go through it alone. You can't handle it alone because, as much as it is a medical or uh, mental issue, it's also a very spiritual issue because because uh, there is a God and there is an enemy of God who will use that to limit your effectiveness uh, in this life. Yeah. Take us back, Dave, to 2013. You said in 2013 you found God. Talk to, Tell us about that experience. Sure. Now, I had uh, first accepted uh, Jesus when I was in sixth grade at a uh, at a summer camp. Um, so there there would be arguments back and forth on, on, on different sides of theology of whether or not that was the moment of salvation or 2013. Either way, I had there was a seed planted uh, that year. It lay dormant most years because I wasn't discipled in our church. I didn't know how to bring up the youth in the in church. Uh, so the seed was there. And then in 2013, it was right after a really rough uh, 2012. Uh, I had um, had my truck broken into a couple of times. I was going nowhere in uh, radio. I was working a part-time job with no way to get full-time. And, you know, everything that I tried seemed to kind of fail. And it was literally a mountaintop moment where I was on this peak of a mountain, you know, emotionally and spiritually where I could take my life and uh, or I could go down the other side of the mountain and I could give my life. And I felt at the time like God was reaching out to me. He was trying to uh, get my attention. So I finally, you know, I submitted and. What did it was I was on my way to work. I lived in a uh, a small small town in West Virginia where there's very few people living in the neck of the woods I was at, and I was within walking distance of the radio station. So I'm on my way to work. All of a sudden, there's these two kids from a Bible college. They're out there witnessing, wanting to pray for people, uh, wanting to pass out uh, tracts. 
And for those who don't know, a tract is basically a small comic book that's got a gospel message to it. Uh, it's just like a small little thing just to tell you a little bit about Jesus. So they're out there on this corner, and there's really no reason for them to be there. There's nobody out. There's nobody in that area. But they just happen to be on that street corner waiting for me. I, I truly believe that it was a God-ordained meeting because, you know, I tried to blow past them, and they're like, hey, hey can we pray for you? How you doing? I'm like, hey, I'm great. I'm a Christian, I believe, but I got to get to work. And I, <laughs> I totally blew them off, but it, it, the message was sent. I got to work, then came home, and I started to read um, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, which you know I know that there's a lot of debate over his theology currently, but that book was was very impactful for millions of people, and it was for me, because it started to show me that, yeah, entertaining people and laughing uh, and and encouraging people to laugh, that that was all good. That was all part of what God wanted for me to do. It's just my my motives and my intentions had to change. My paradigm had to shift. And so it did when uh, I finally um, you know, said, all right, Lord, now what? And he said, I want you to make people laugh. I want you to entertain people. And so the conversation went, hey, so what do I do? There's nothing here in West Virginia for me to do. God's like, I know. And uh, then I uh, uh, started to think, well, my mom lives in Roanoke. Maybe I go to Roanoke, Virginia, which is uh, a bigger area. I uh, got more opportunities, but it didn't sit right. And then in conversations, my sister, who lived here in Chicago, offered me a place to stay if I wanted to start over. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah. So within a few weeks, I packed everything I owned in my truck. I uh, spent a, a, a few days hanging out with mom in Roanoke. And then I drove up to Chicago and uh, just started completely over on my sister's couch. Wow. Uh, Thank and, God for big sisters, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is, you know, I'm on this faith journey, but but my sister is not, uh, does, doesn't believe. She doesn't have a faith uh, relationship with the Lord, but he still used her. Mm. And mm -hmm. uh, so I started over on my sister's couch and that was in uh, March of 2013. Uh, within a, a couple of weeks, I uh, met some people through Craigslist of all places. Oh my and, god! <laughs> and started uh, the Improv Ministry back in 2013. Wow! And you're a children's pastor. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Uh, when I eventually met my wife about two years in, or about a year after I moved to Chicago, um, we started dating. And uh, she was actually when I first met her, she was dating a friend of mine from church. So I try to you know, sound scandalous and say that, uh, yeah, I met my wife when she was dating a friend of mine. And, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it wasn't like that. She, They'd actually broken up, and I started trying to intervene to try to get them back together. Mm. But um, yeah, eventually is obvious he wasn't interested, and I was enjoying our conversation, so I'd start to flirt. <laughs> and uh, she'd be like, Dave, you're flirting. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm a Libra. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then we eventually, we got married in 2015. She Aww. was working. Yeah. So uh, we just celebrated seven years, uh, three months ago, actually uh, three months ago to the date. Wow. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah. So what's the key to longevity in a seven year marriage, Dave? How did you, how did you manage to keep it together that long? 
lots and lots of prayer, lots of prayer and um, learning over the time, over the course of prayer that it's not about me. It's about us and about our ministry, because Mm -hmm. for anybody that's married, your first and most important ministry is your marriage, because if that's not right, nothing else is going to be right. Right. that includes once you have kids, your first ministry is still to your, your spouse because that models for your kids uh, what it's supposed to look like. Um, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being super godly. It's about being real, authentic, and in pursuit of the Lord. And when you get that ministry right, your marriage ministry, everything mm-hmm. else falls into place. Uh, so if I could leave anybody watching and listening mm-hmm. to that advice, marriage is your first ministry. And if anything gets in the way of that marriage, it's got to go. Or it's got to at least go for a short time until you get your priorities straight. And that includes if you're a pastor at a church and your marriage isn't right, take a sabbatical and fix that marriage first. Um, Mm. Because there's nothing more important than your marriage. Um, So, yeah. uh, So she was uh, volunteering as a a children's pastor or, or one of the children's leaders. And then uh, when we got married, uh, you know, we're one flesh. So if she's doing a ministry, I'm doing it with her. Uh, so I, I jumped in and eventually uh, we got moved up to be the children's pastors. And, uh, and the whole idea is, you know, just pouring into the next generation, modeling through our marriage, what, you know, a godly man and godly woman should look like and how they should relate to one another. And then also, you know, just giving the kids an opportunity to truly experience who God is and not think that, Oh, they're just kids. We'll just babysit them. No kids church is not babysitting. It should be discipling. Uh, The thing that I didn't really experience when I was a kid, uh, we want to make sure that that our kids get discipled and whether it sticks or not, is not up to us. The results are up to God. Our job is just to be faithful and to give the kids a chance to hear the truth and not some sugar coated candy coated version of the truth. Now, obviously, there's some things we don't talk about in Kiss Church because they're not ready yet. But the overall thing of, of needing forgiveness of sins, Jesus actually died and rose again. You know, those kind of things are, are the most important. And we make sure that our kids know about it. And also, my wife and I make a good team. She's the serious, let's read the scripture, talk about the scripture. And I find the opportunity to use my gifting to break up the, the with with some humor, with some dad jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, kids only have so much attention span and they need a, a, a jolt every once in a while where they can laugh. And oh, that's wow. kind of my job. Wow, Dave, you are amazing. So when you, when you stand before an audience, whether you're doing comedy, whether you're teaching children about the Bible, what is the one takeaway lesson that you desire for your audience to have from you? What is, what is your, what's your motive, your purpose? My motive and purpose is that, um, well, my, my purpose is to, to inform and entertain and ultimately bring closer to, to God. And, and my, my hope is that people will see that no matter how flawed I am, you know, uh, maybe I get the wrong name. Like the other, the other day I was talking, uh, referencing, uh, and, and I don't know how, how deep in the weeds we want to get, but I was referencing Paul and, and uh, Barnabas uh, when they had their big fight over uh, whether John Mark would go on the missionary journey. Mm-hmm. And I refer to it as Paul and Barabbas. 
who brought <laughs> one that uh, that uh, Pontius Pilate let go instead of Jesus that day. And so it, I make mistakes. I, I'm I'm human. I'm going to flub. I'm going to misquote scripture on time to time. But I hope that no matter whether I'm doing comedy or, or teaching the word or teaching children, that they realize that despite my imperfections, I'm pointing to a perfect God. Mm. And they will seek him above anything I say to verify what if what I'm saying is right. Mm-hmm. So, Dave, what do you love most about life right now? We're, we're coming off the brinks of a very serious pandemic and people have been isolated and a lot of things have changed. Some good, some bad. But what do you love most about life right now? I love that there is there seems to be a an awakening of wanting to be together, that people realize that now that we've been put on that timeout, we were separated, that there's an, a realization that we're designed to be in community. Uh, early on, so many people got so tired of everything being Zoom and virtual and Google Meets. And now that we're starting to get out of it, I mean, even the McDonald's play places are opening back up. So I think we're getting to a place where <laughs> we can understand that it's safe to meet. Yeah. And I love the fact that there is a desire to be together. Um, and that's that's how God designed us to be in community. That's why uh, Hebrews talks about, you know, don't neglect the gathering together because God built us for community. Uh, the Bible also talks about the enemy, you know, the devil is a like a roaring lion looking for something to devour. If you think about a lion, he can't devour a pack. He looks for the one that's isolated. He looks for the one that's kind of wandering around with a limp by themselves. The lion doesn't go after the pack. So if we're in a pack, you're a lot safer and you don't have to worry so much about that roar, you know, roaring lion looking to devour because we're designed to be together. We're designed to be in community. Uh, we're mm-hmm. a body. Uh, the finger can't operate separate from the body. So we should all be together. And that's what I love. And, and comedy does that so well because you can get a room full of strangers and the second they laugh together, there's like a bond created because they've all admitted something about themselves. They've all yeah. admitted that I understand that. I, I agree that that's funny. And you get a group of 500 strangers laughing. They leave that show no longer strangers. Even if they never talk to each other or whatever, they, they're not alone. And that is the beauty of what comedy does. Yes, it is. Now, Dave, I read where you just uh, had one of your first, well, your very first paid stand-up gig. Mm-hmm. Talk to the audience about how that went for you. Sure. Um, I've done a little stand-up here and there, but this was my first like solo gig. Like, hey, Dave, we want you to come and entertain us. And um, uh, it, was, it was different because it was on uh, somebody's front lawn. I was standing on their driveway. We had people sitting in their garage in the shade, people sitting in the tr- under a tree in the shade. So there wasn't one like audience focus. So I had to kind of work both sides of the yard. Uh, and it was a much older group. Um, I'm in my early 40s. Sorry about that. Um, and um, so they were the average age was like 20 years old or so. There's some of my material that I can relate to that I had to leave out because they're like, they're not going to get this. <laughs> uh, I tried one and I tried a TikTok reference and it went flat. So I was like, yeah, but they're, <laughs> not they're not here. 
Uh, but it was fun. And it was one of those things where, you know, because I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, my my comedy, I try to make sure it is a beyond reproach, that nothing can be taken offensively. But I also trust God to give me quality because it's not just about being clean. I, I serve a God who is the ultimate creator. So he should be, so I, in his image, I should be just as creative. Mm. And so I want to be as good as I can be, as good as God will let me be. And it was just, it was fun. People were together. It was the first time that they'd had a block party uh, in their subdivision since before 2020. And uh, so everyone just had a great time and it was a lot of fun. Uh, There's way too much food there. I I tried to help as much as I could. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and it was just the beautiful thing of people from all walks of life coming together to sit together, to enjoy, uh, enjoy some sunshine, enjoy some fresh air and just laugh together and kind of shed the burdens uh, of life. Because, you know, that's one thing that life is very good at is giving you a bunch of burdens for you to carry. Yeah. Many of those are not yours to carry. And, uh, Mm. and that's why Jesus says that uh, his yoke is light because he, he's willing to carry your burdens and Mm. his, his demands on you are not nearly what you think they are. Yeah. Cast all your burdens onto the Lord. Mm -hmm. I remember one day I was in my, I want to say my late twenties and I was raising my daughter as a single mom, going to college, working a full-time job and everything just came down on me at one time, like emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I remember going into a grocery store, uh, the grocery store, I think it's in East Point, Michigan. And I was grocery shopping, but I was in a lot of pain at that time and a lot of tears at that day. And I remember going to the cash register to pay for my belongings, my, my items. And the cashier wrote a scripture for me because mm. she could see, she could clearly see that I had been crying and I was in distress. And the paper said, cast your burdens onto the Lord. And I will never forget that day. Mm. I'll never forget that lady. And for a while, I drove around with that paper in my car. And my biggest problem in life is that I don't always know how to give it to the Lord, how mm. to cast my burden onto him. I, I, I struggle with like the oldest child syndrome. I'm the oldest in my family. I've always been such a leader in my life and I don't know how to relinquish some of my responsibilities or relinquish and let someone else carry. So thank you for saying that to me today, because it just reminds me that no matter what my burdens are, I can always cast them on to the Lord. So thank you for sharing that, Dave. Yeah. And one of the things that will try to happen to you is once you've cast that you know, the burdens on the Lord, there's a part of you or there's a little voice in you that would say that you've now lost your identity because you've lost these burdens that you've hold, held on to for so so long and so tightly that now what are you going to hold on to? And that's just another trick that wants you to pick up those broken chains again, those broken burdens. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's no condemnation. So if if you get to that point where you like you feel like you need to pick them back up, there's no condemnation. Jesus is just saying like, okay, LaToya, you can let go of those now. I've got something <laughs> better for you. Go ahead and let them go again. Yeah. And, uh, and so the, don't ever feel ashamed if you pick up the, the same burdens again or if you have struggles with letting them go because it's a struggle. You're, you know, as long as you're on this side of eternity, there's going to be a struggle. 
And sometimes it's uh, self-created. Other times it's uh, from outside forces. And the worst thing you can do is, you know, get in that mode of self-condemnation, thinking that you failed, because then that's when the piling on really happens. Mm -hmm. You just take that moment and realize, okay, I messed up. Let me let it. Let me give it back to the Lord one more time, and let me uh, cling to the hem of His garment instead of His burden. That's okay. There's nothing yeah. wrong with with going through that cycle and because you're getting stronger, it's repetitive. And uh, I just encourage you never to feel condemned because you made a mistake, because you picked up a broken burden again, uh, mm-hmm. because you picked up broken chains again. You know, that's just, that's the human psyche, especially in this society where we think that uh, everything has to be big and every, every sin has to be punished. You know, sometimes we don't get punished. Sometimes God saves us from the natural consequences and we shouldn't ever be ashamed of that. Yeah, because shame is a tool of the enemy. Conviction is a tool of God because it conviction brings you closer to God. Mm-hmm. Shame draws you further from God. So right. shame is not what you should experience. If you feel conviction, you know, welcome that and like say, all right, God, I'm sorry. Here it is. If you feel shame where it's like making you recoil away from God, kind of like mm-hmm. Adam and Eve when they're hiding in the bushes, like, oh, God, we heard you coming. We didn't want you to see us naked. Yeah, that was shame. That was condemnation. Conviction would have been like walking up to God, like, Lord, we're sorry. We ate that fruit. We are so sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's a there's a huge difference between shame, condemnation, and conviction. Conviction is healthy, shame and condemnation isn't. No, it's not. You know, Dave, I was on your Facebook page and I read a quote from you and I really love this and I want you to elaborate on this for me. The quote says by Dave Ebert, there is only one thing you can take to heaven and that's other people. Yeah. Talk to us about that, Dave. I love that. I love it. And that happened. I was in the middle of a prayer meeting with other actors and performers and they're just talking about you know, possessions and cars and houses. And, you know, those things are good. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with having what you need or what you want. The problem is when it becomes an idol and replaces God in your heart, because you can't take those things with you. The second that your heart stops on this side of eternity, that stuff gets split, divided, and sold. But what you can bring with you, what you should work to bring with you to heaven is other people. That's your family. It's your coworkers. It's your friends. It's people who may just tune into a podcast randomly on a Saturday morning. You know, we want you to come with us. We want you all aboard the train to heaven because I can't take anything with us. Uh, If I win, you know, a million dollars in the lottery, I can't take that with me. If, uh, if my wife and I get, a huge, beautiful house. The second I'm gone, that house is sold. Mm. What I can bring with me is, you know, my wife, I can bring, uh, hopefully one day I'll be able to say that I can bring my mom and my sister. I hope that we can bring uh, my wife's family. It's all about who we can bring because we can't bring any of the what's. Wow, that's absolutely powerful. We have uh, a few people tuning in here. I'm going to show their comments. Uh, This one is from you. Thank you, Dave. You're happy to be here. Thank you so much. We have Keith Carter, Jr. Depression comes in all types of situations. Yeah, That is definitely true. 
Definitely. We have Khalid Brahim, and he said that we're having a strong conversation. Thank you, Khalid. Carrie, thank you. This is a powerful, that is a powerful statement. I needed to hear that and be reminded to lease my bur release my burdens to the Lord. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you all so much for my um, audience members who are watching us live today. I appreciate that. Um, Dave, I do have, I want to let my audience know where they can reach out to you. Um, can you tell us how to reach you if we would like to use you for your services? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and in response to uh, uh, Keith Carter uh, Jr.'s comment, depression does come in all types of situations. So one thing that I know is that depression different for each person that goes through it. There's no blanket response. There's no blanket treatment. Um, but if you're somebody that's going through that, uh, my email box is open to anybody that just needs to just get stuff off their chest. Uh, I'm not going to respond with a bunch of copy and paste of scripture or try to beat you down with a word. I just want to walk through the valley with you. And sometimes it's easier to open up to a stranger than to somebody that, uh, that you know. So I just want to encourage you if you uh, have that struggle Email me at Dave at giftsforglory.com, Dave at gifts, the number four glory.com. And uh, that email goes to my phone. And unless I'm dead asleep, I'll get it and I'll be able to respond. And, and we start a conversation and uh, just help help you walk through that valley. And also, if you're somebody that knows somebody is struggling and you need some advice or coaching or help, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, so, yeah, Dave at giftsforglory.com is always open. Now, if you're interested in uh, improv or improv workshops, uh, you can reach me at that email address or you can find us on Facebook uh, at WellversedCMDY, at WellversedCMDY. And that's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And uh, uh, we can start a conversation about uh, bringing improv to you. Uh, I use improv as uh, a ministry tool because so often we get our, in our own way of thinking thinking like Moses, like, oh, Lord, I can't speak. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I say the wrong verse and, and this person rejects you forever? The thing is, our job is only to be the vessel. It, the results are up to God and he will make the results happen. Mm -hmm. uh, all we have to do is just be willing. And with improv uh, uh, workshops, I can teach how to get out of your own way and just share and mm -hmm. just be that vessel. Um, so, yeah, that email address works or find us at wellversedcmdy. And uh, we'd be uh, happy to serve. Wow. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate you for extending your services and your skills and talents to help my audience members. I really appreciate that. And I, and I think that you're perfect for this because you can relate and identify with it. You've mentioned earlier and so candidly during this interview that you yourself struggled with depression and you use comedy to help you. So you're someone who can not only identify with it, but you can empathize with the person and help them understand they're not alone and that that what they're going through can easily be rectified with the right kind of help. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that God allowed to develop in me during that time is just that empathy and that that understanding and that sensitivity. So, uh, yeah. And that, that's one of the things uh, I didn't get to mention yet was um, one of the, the biggest blessings in my comedy has been I uh, teach improv to women who survive sex trafficking. Mm. Um, I teach it not because they're wanting to be comedians, but as a way to rebuild confidence, communication, self-esteem, and also to um, 
uh, just let them have an hour a month where they can laugh like little girls again, where many of them were sold into trafficking at a very young age. Some as old as young as nine or 10 years old. So their childhoods were ruined. Mm. And now to be able to laugh like a little girl with, with no inhibitions and just giggle and chuckle and snort and all that. It's, it's amazing to see that healing happen. And also, and the thing that I'll never discount is the fact that they're allowing me as a man to come in, work with these women who've been put through literal hell on earth by other men and to have a positive relationship. So yeah, I just appreciate that opportunity. And I also know that that's how powerful that comedy can be is to allow healing and growth and development. Yeah, that's that's very important. Well, thank you for what you do. Uh, I do want to move on with a, another question here. Uh, yeah. This podcast, Dave, it was created in honor of my dad who struggled with depression and he had issues in his life, alcoholism, things of that nature. And he took his own life in a murder-suicide. Yeah. But before that day, my father was a wonderful person, very successful black man in the city of Detroit. He worked for WXYC Channel 7 for 30 years. And before that, he was a radio host. He had a radio show many years ago called Speaking of Sports. Mm -hmm. So when he died, I wanted to do something to honor his memory. I knew he loved radio TV. I knew he loved uh, interviewing people. So instead of naming this show after my dad, Speaking of Sports, I named the show Speaking of Love. So today we're here to talk about love. And my million dollar question that I ask all of my guests who sit before me, Dave Ebert, is how do you define love? I define love as uh, being truly willing to see the best for somebody else. Um, as, as a husband, I love my wife because I want to see the best for her. I want to see her. Uh, we want kids. We don't have them yet. But I want to see her heart full of love for a child. Um, and uh, love is also being self-sacrificial where um, maybe I wanted to go eat steak tonight, but she wants to go eat Chinese. And that's very simplistic. But the idea is it, it's wanting the best for the other person and wanting to die to yourself, literally, as Jesus said, die to yourself for the, that benefit. Now, the best is not necessarily what they want. Sometimes love is being willing to say, hey, you don't want that. You don't want that beer. You don't want to go to that strip club. You don't want to watch that movie. So love is that self-sacrifice willing to risk the relationship to tell them the truth. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's wanting the best, which includes telling them no from time to time, but also mm -hmm. wanting the best for them in this life and the next. Wow, that's absolutely powerful. And that resonates with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in a situation like that where I'm trying to help someone and it's, it's just out of love. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Dave Ebert, uh, when the pages of your life are reviewed and your mission here on the planet earth is over what do you most want to be remembered for what's your legacy my legacy is that i fulfilled the definition of love i just gave you that i was i wanted the best for people which includes most importantly that they would know jesus and that i was willing to serve and help them find their best 
Yes, yes, I love it. Yes, Dave. See, that's why I wanted you on my podcast, because your mission, the dedication, your walk in life, your journey, it totally aligns with the mission and the purpose of this podcast. And I truly admire people like you, Dave, who have dedicated their lives to enhancing the lives of other people. You are here today because you're using your skills, your love, your gift, your talents because of depression that you have experienced, you've taken that pain and you've given it a greater purpose and it's all for the common good of helping others. I bow to people like you. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. And thank God he, he saved me so many times to allow me to get to this point where he could redeem all of that and uh, use it for, for the good of people. Wow. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being here, for blessing my platform with your presence. This was my 106th episode. If any of my audience members would like to reach out to this wonderful man, Dave, please email Dave at Dave at gifts, the number for glory dot com. Again, it's Dave at gifts for glory dot com. Dave at gifts for glory.com. Dave, is there anything else you'd like to share with my audience before we conclude our wonderful interview here today? No, I, I just, I, it's so impressive. Um, your story of being willing to, uh, to honor your dad, despite the, the one moment that, that happened and to focus on, on the good and, and the full story. And I think that, that you that you deserve respect and honor for s still having an open heart and and focusing on love because I know that these last couple of years have had to been brutal for you and I just I commend you for staying strong and being that light in in this dark world. Yeah, thank you. It hasn't been easy, Dave. I still have my days of struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad took his own life in a murder suicide. So he took his the wife, the life of his wife first, and then he took his own life. So that adds a double component yeah. to a, a terrible tragedy. You know, that day two families lost someone that they love. And uh, it's been very difficult. And then shortly after that, I went through a very painful divorce and the pandemic and just trying to navigate my way through all of this. And I'm coming off the brinks of it and I'm a lot better because of people like you. You know, I, I say this all the time, every Saturday morning when I wake up, it's like I'm on my way to a therapy session and I get to talk to people from all around the world on the topic of love in honor of my dad. So you're helping me, Dave. Today you were my medicine and I appreciate you. Oh, well, that, that blesses me. I, I'm, I'm very happy that I could offer a little bit for you. Well, thank you. And if anyone has missed any portion of this podcast, it will live on YouTube. It's on Facebook. Just type in Speaking of Love in the search bar and the podcast will be there. The podcast is also available on all major podcast platforms. So that's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Speaking of Love is there. And I thank you all for being here. And I will be back next week. Uh, the month of September will be a series of conversations about suicide. September is suicide prevention month. 
Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month. So if anyone here is watching, if you're feeling a little suicidal or you need someone to talk to, I'm going to put the Suicide Lifeline number up and the number is 988, just like you would call 911 in case of an emergency. Well, now they have a hotline dedicated to people who may be ready to end their lives. So if you feel that you need to speak to someone, don't dial 911, just dial 988. Or you can call me or you can email Dave, okay? So thank you all for being here. This has been a beautiful episode and I will see you all next week. Dave, I bow to your excellence. I'm bowing down. <laughs> I bow to your excellence. Thank you for being here and I'll see you all next week.